0: Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast I have a really good guest today a good conversation with Matt Bowen always love talking football with him because I always learn and you will too he gives a breakdown of Landon Collins, why he loves him. Um, he's going to tell you who he thinks the Redskins should take at 15. And then, because we've spent so much time talking about quarterbacks, we're going to break down some of the non-quarterback options at 15 for the Redskins. Matt does a really good job with that. Yeah, hop in and listen. All right, well, I'm very happy to have my next guest, Matt Bowen, former Redskin safety. Join me. Uh, Matt, I appreciate you coming on with me for spending a few minutes here to talk about the draft and some other stuff. Well,
1: thank you for having me on, John. Always good to talk
0: to you. Your journey to where you are now, to me, it fascinates me because I knew you way back when, back when you were lighting up Trunk Candidate and practice and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Still one of my favorite practice memories, but just the job that you're in now and because as you, as you remember, you used to write an article for the Washington Examiner back when I covered the Redskins for the Examiner and you did it for free. And to me it always showed just y- your ability to relay, relay information to the, at that point the, the reader. But it's also the work you put in. Then you go and get a master's degree in writing, correct?
1: I did at Ball University. That's when I was uh, writing that column for you for the Examiner. Right. I remember I, you know, I was in a graduate program at DePaul University, I got a master's in what's called writing and publishing, um, part of the English department at DePaul. Um, I did that right after I got done playing, because when you get done playing, uh, this is everyone. It doesn't matter if you are a pro bowler or a guy like me who, who made the majority of his living covering kicks and special teams, you kind of drift a little bit. You don't really know what you want to do. And I already had my undergraduate degree in journalism from the University of Iowa, and we were living in Chicago, right by Wrigley Field. So uh, it was perfect for me to go wash the Cubs. And my wife said, well, why don't you go back to school? And I said, nah, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know where I really want to go back to school. But I did. I went to poll, got into a new competitive environment, um, taking an entrance exam or, you know, it's an essay exam to get into the program. And it really helped me as a writer because going from AP style, or newspaper style of a journalism undergrad degree to now taking poetry classes, nonfiction writing, magazine writing, stylistics, rhetorical grammar, um, you know, diagramming sentences from a Norman, uh, Norman Mailer novel, which, uh, take you about an hour, you yeah. know? So it was interesting to me and it really helped me as a writer, really helped me in terms of the tone I write with and how to connect with readers. And as you know, my background has always been print. Right. Um, you know, that's my passion, is writing. So, uh, yeah, that's where I started. You know, and from there I went to uh, help start the National Football Post. That's right. Um, and then started working for the Chicago Tribune. So, uh, and from there I went to Bleach Report, CNN Bleach Report, and then eventually over uh, with you at ESPN. So, it has been a long journey. Um, but it's been a great journey because I've worked with so many great people, so many great editors, editors that pushed me. Um you know, I was working for Mike Kellens, my editor at the Tribune, and it was the first time in my career when I'd send something in and he'd send it right back and say, this isn't good enough. You know, and you like, okay, great, I've got to start over. So uh, uh, I enjoyed the process, let's put it that way. No different than being a player, well, John. It really is. No different than being a player. So you enjoy the process, you put the work in, and you gradually start to climb that ladder.
0: And I, and, and I bring it up because you're in your position, not just because you're a former player, but because of the work you put into it. And I think sometimes people see someone on TV and it's like, oh, he's a former player. That's why he's on. But you are a you, you have this you know, dual backgrounds that have propelled you to this. And it hasn't just been retire. You're on TV. It's been a retire, work your ass off and get to this point. And that's, I'm going to lead into that because the other thing then we talked about this, I think at one point during the season, or I can't remember when it was, sometime recently, about the work that you guys put into the NFL matchup show. And before I, get, before I ask the question, you guys have primetime draft shows coming up on the 16th and the 23rd in NFL matchup. You got to check those out. It's absolutely one of my favorite shows on TV. But I want to get back to you take a play during the season, one play, What's the process for diagramming and dissecting one play from start to finish for you on this show?
1: Well, I'll give the entire process. It really starts Sunday night. Uh, I get the film early from the NFL, um, from the league office. I get it Sunday night. Uh, you know, So the 1 o'clock games I, I get around after dinner time, and then the 4 o'clock kickoffs I get late Sunday night. So I can get on the film Sunday night. And the way I look at it is I focus on specific game situations. I always start with third down. Whether it's offense or defense. And after third downs, to go to the red zone. Because I think, in my opinion, those are the most scripted or schemed game situations. Those are money downs and third downs and a red zone, as you and I both know, that wins or loses football games. Defense holding the three, you're going to win a lot of football games. Offense scores seven points, you're going to win a lot of football games. So look at those two key areas. Then I go to two minute, then I go to four minute offense. And then eventually I get the first and second down um, because. Obviously, that's a huge part of the game plan as well. But I start with those critical game situations. And as you go throughout the season, you start to see tendencies form. What teams like to do, whether it's formation, personnel, alignment, wide receiver splits, what they do varying from down and distance situations on the defensive side of the ball, when do they use their sub package, when do they bring pressure, what do they like to do in coverage situations, and who's getting targeted. If I see a corner out there and the ball is getting thrown at him every third and two to six situation, well, that's a, that's a problem, right? That's a problem from a coaching perspective. And it, for us, it gives us some insight into what we need to look at and how teams are scheming specific opponents. Then come Monday morning, we talk to our guys at NFL Matchup. I'm going to tell you right now, we have the best team in the world at NFL Matchup. Obviously, everyone sees Greg Cosell and Sal Palantonio on the set with me uh, when our show is on during the week. But the guys behind the scenes and what they do for us. Our room at NFL Matchup is filled with football guys. You have former scouts in there, former coaches in there at the college level. Guys have been scouts in the league. So they know the league, and they know coaching. So we start discussing the plays we want to do, and there's a lot of times they'll, they'll tell me no. And again, it goes back to what we were just talking about working for my editor, Mike Kellins of the Chicago Tribune. I'll have guys that match up. I'll say, look, I really like this play, and they'll say no. <laughs> no, you're not seeing it right. You're not seeing it right. And that's a great thing. That's a thing you have to learn, whether you're a player or a coach, is you don't have all the answers, especially as a writer, too.
0: Right. I you're found that out. You're not
1: always going to be right. You're not always going to be right. Okay? And you don't know everything. Because I've always said this. I'm not in a huddle with these guys. And I've been in you know plenty of huddles before, plenty of position meetings, install meetings through my seven-year career, playing for a lot of coaches in the NFL. But if I don't know a specific coach, and I don't know what they're doing based on – A specific check that we don't know, then we move on from that play. Okay, that does happen. But when we finally pick the plays, then it goes through a process. After we pick them with our guys at matchup, then we go to our graphic designers and how we're going to set up the plays, what we're going to highlight. If it's a three-level flood route, how do we want to present it? Because I look at this, John, as a teaching tool. No different than you know. I coach high school football too.
0: Three state titles, right?
1: Yeah, I see Catholic High School in Elmerson Elmer, won three state titles in a row. And that's helped me tremendously. That has helped me so much as a writer and as an analyst. Because if you can teach the game, you can write about the game as well. You can explain it. And that's how I look at matchup. When these plays get done, and they don't get done till Thursday. So we start Sunday night, and we don't get the finished product till Thursday. We take Friday morning. It has to go through a lot of. You have to check off a lot of boxes to make sure we are presenting the best content. Make sure we are right. Okay, right. we always want to be right.
0: Because if okay. you're not, coaches will know it, and then you kind of, of get exposed. Yeah,
1: of course they will. So there's times I'll talk to coaches I know in the league throughout the week and say, "Hey, man, can you look at this play for me? Am I seeing this the exact right way? You know, is this cover three? Okay, are they truly playing cover three? Is this or is this a pattern match defense?" Okay, when they pressure here, and this play goes for an explosive game, who's it on? Am I seeing this? Well, the safety supposed to rotate, or is this on the corner? A lot, of, a lot of those things, John, I do know. But there's times where, like I said, you don't have all the answers. Right. So it's a big process to get from Sunday night to Friday morning when we're in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, at NFL Films, taping our show. But that's what I love about it. And I tell people, it is a homework show. It is a homework show. It takes up a lot of time. Because you have to study. You have to watch tape. You have to talk to people. You have to be right in how you're presenting this content. You want to present it in a way that, yes, it's high-level football content, but you don't want to use terminology that no one knows. Right. Because then you're not teaching. Then you're making people more confused.
0: Well, some people are trying yeah, to do first. that to stand, to show themselves off a little bit, I think, too.
1: Right. And, and I, John, I was guilty of that. When I first started on social media, this is, what, eight years ago, whatever it may be, I was using terminology from Greg Williams. You know, that's what I knew.
0: (laughs) Any of them involved the F word?
1: No, they did not. But, (laughs) uh, you know, for example, some of our personnel groupings, uh, you know, they weren't numbered. You know, now you talk about 21 personnel, two running backs, you know, one tight end, two wide receivers. Uh, We had different names for that. Okay, and I was using that. No one knew what I was talking about. You know, and and that was my fault, that I was – trying to teach the game but doing it in a way that everyone didn't understand. So yes, we want to be high level, of course. We want to also present it in a way where a coach can watch it, a pro coach, a college coach, a high school coach, a youth coach, and someone who works at IBM or someone who's a a high school teacher.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right? Uh, So someone who's a lawyer, someone who's an accountant, everyone can understand the game of football and become a smarter fan. That's our ultimate goal, for people to become a smarter fan. Because you've watched the show. But yeah. uh, th- this isn't a show about it takes. This is a show about football. Uh, that's what it is. It's football. We will teach you the game of football,
0: and we'll do it in a way
1: that's uh, it's enjoyable, that's entertaining, but also it's a teaching tool. So I love the process of it, and you have to like the grind on it. You do. Yeah. You have to like the grind on the film to talk and- football, to be involved in the terminology, the personnel to know the game. And that's why I think it's the perfect fit for me.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to bring that part up though, because I do know that I don't want you know, I don't I think people it's important to know the work that goes into showing a play. It's not just, hey, I played the game, I know the game, I can go do this. And that's gonna lead me into the discussion on the draft because there's the work you put into that, and now we're gonna get into the draft stuff. And I know like I said, you guys have the shows coming up on the sixteenth and twenty-third, prime time on NFL matchup about the draft. And there are four areas I wanna focus on with you because I've spent a lot of time and a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about the quarterbacks and the Redskins. I think that it's Mm -hmm. important to get to other positions because they can take one of those guys at 15 um, just as easily. And so I want to go there, starting with the edge rushers. Who are the guys? And I know like obviously the top guys aren't going to be there. Nick Bosa is not falling to 15. So, you know, I think, you know, and I don't know that Montez Sweat, I mean, I assume he's going top 10, don't you?
1: I would expect Montez Sweat to be top 10, top 12, uh, just because I, I like his film.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think
1: he has a very high ceiling that he hasn't reached yet, which is a, which is a good thing to have in a draft prospect, someone that, with the arrow that's really pointing up. And like you and I have discussed before, if you have a coaching staff that is a group of teachers, right. okay, that's what you need.
0: Which doesn't you know, always
1: happen. Are, you, know, you don't always have in the pros. You don't want guys that teach the game plan if you're going to develop a rookie. I'm telling you right now, you don't, especially under the new CBA. Right. You don't get to hit as much. You don't get to compete as much. So there has to be a lot of individual teaching, technique, fundamentals. That still wins over talent because everyone in the league has talent. So a guy like Montez Sweat, would I love to coach him? Yes. Of course I would. Of course I would. He ran a four four one forty 140, 260 pounds. He's got incredible length. He's got a solid base of fundamentals where he can get off the ball with speed up the field, either use a long-arm technique or rip through at the point of attack, get home the quarterback. And you'll see him in the run game also, yeah. where he can separate because of his length and take control of blockers at the point of attack and be disruptive in the run game as well. Um, if he's there at 15, I would be surprised. But here's yeah. the thing, John. We talked about this out in uh, Jersey yesterday. You just don't know. No, you don't. You don't know. Jonathan Allen wasn't supposed
0: to be there at 17 two years ago, so you never know.
1: Right. You, you don't know. You don't know what's happening. So if Montez well, is there, yes, he could be an ideal piece to add to the Washington defense, for sure.
0: And I'm going to quickly move on to Brian Burns in one second, but with Montez, what is the, if you say he can be developed, what's the thing that he has to develop?
1: Turner moves. That's every pass rusher. Okay. That's every pass rusher. I, I think – you mentioned Nick Bosa. I think he's the most pro ready pass rusher in this class uh, because he has pro level technique. That's what he has. Because Nick Bosa, what did he run? 4.79, something yeah. like that? Uh, I mean, he doesn't have uh, freakish traits in terms of testing numbers, right? He doesn't. But he's the best pass rusher in this class because of his technique, right. counter moves counter moves, that, that young pass rushers and guys I've played with and guys I study on film, they can win because of athleticism, those athletic traits that make them first-rounders. But for them to win consistently at the pro level and beat NFL tackles or NFL guards as interior rushers, that technique has to climb, and that comes from teaching. That comes from experience. That comes from getting beat up a couple times your rookie season and saying, you know what, I have to change. If I'm going to start making plays, I have to change. And that comes from game reps and experience.
0: Do you like – the next guy I want to talk about, but I want to make sure that he would be next on the list, is would Brian Burns be that guy or would it be Cleveland Pharrell?
1: I think it's Brian Burns. Okay. I, well, I mean, you can make a case for both players, and I've studied both players. With Brian Burns, I love the speed off the edge. Yeah. You know, he put on weight. He's up to 249 at the combine. Still ran a 453 incredibly flexible um, you know very loose hips when he sometimes when he rushes off the edge and bends in the corner that's exactly what you see in those combine drills okay when you're looking at athletic traits um, I think he can get stronger too i think his frame still can add weight can add upper body size i still think he can get stronger which again is a positive when you're talking about a young player coming into the national football league I think he's in that range, John. I think he's in that, you know, 12 to 20 range yeah. in the first round. I think he probably will be available at 15, but he could go higher. Like I said, we don't know. But a lot to like there because of his speed off the edge. He gets off the ball so quickly and against college level offensive tackles. Now he can get them to be out of position, to open their hips too early, right. to get them back on their heels. Then he can use some speed to power as well. Better with his hands than I expected. Much better with his hands than I expected. And, again, can accelerate that development also with his hand usage once he's into the NFL. And with Farrell from Clemson, uh, doesn't have the same, in my opinion, quick twitch athleticism as Burns. I think he's stronger at the point of attack and has developed a little bit more in terms of counter moves than Burns, whether it's a long arm, whether it's speed to power, whether it's the dip inside and use the quick arm over the swim. And super productive. Super productive for the best team in college football. And it's not just one year of production. He's been productive for multiple seasons at Clemson. And I think he's very good versus the run, too. I, I think he's a solid all-around football player that would help an NFL defense immediately. And these guys we're talking about, John, they, they can help teams on day one. And it might not be initially as first and second down defender, but in terms of like we talked about with the matchup, so those critical down-and-distance right. situations... They should be on the field. They should be impacting the pocket.
0: You know, it's funny with Burns, and I'm going to move on to tight ends in a second and going back to your backyard here in a second. But mm-hmm. with Burns, it, um, you know, I wondered, I'd ask someone, I'd say, well, could he play the run right away? And it's like, well, teams play so much nickel, he's going to impact just because of those sub packages. But going mm-hmm. to the tight ends, your guy, you two guys, but I want to focus on one in particular because I think at 15 he is an option for the Redskins, and that's T.J. Hawkinson. What's your take yeah. on him?
1: Well, I was talking with someone yesterday and I said it like this, uh, start a baseball season. If he was a baseball prospect, he'd be a five-tool prospect. That's who he'd be. And a five-tool prospect in baseball can do everything. And that's what I believe about T.J. Hawkinson. Obviously, I am a little biased. Just like you are, John, when you talk about Ohio State, okay? You think so? so? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Not two years ago when they came to Kinnick Stadium. No, that <laughs> right. didn't happen, John. I think we have okay, a bad but...
0: reception here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'll say this. T.J. Hawkinson is a three-down player in the National Football League.
0: They can do a lot of different
1: things for you. The first thing that stands out to me, and I'm going to show this on Matchup next week, is run blocking. And we forget about that. You know, it's such it's, everything revolves around the passing game. I understand that. But you watch him block at the University of Iowa. He finishes people. He doesn't just block you, he finishes you. He tries to bury you at the point of attack. That comes from the, the, the culture at the University of Iowa how they develop football players, and playing for Kirk Ferens, because Kirk works with the offensive line and the tight ends. I mean, the tight end position at, at the University of Iowa is an extension of the offensive line at times. So you get that immediately. <clears throat> the guy can reach block, they can down block, they can climb to the second level, and if he gets on a linebacker or a de- defensive back, he's going to drive him down the field and he's going to dump him on the ground. What he can do as a pass receiver, everything you want for the tight end position. He can be an inline tight end. That's a tight end that's attached to the core of the formation. He can work in middle of the field. Whether it's a seam route, a dig route, running a quick stick out that I'm going to show on the matchup show next week. Creating that matchup versus a linebacker or a strong safety and coverage. He can flex from the formation, which they did under Brian Ferentz, the offense coordinator at Iowa. Flex from the formation. Either as a backside X or in the slot. Become that big slot receiver now. Again, where you create matchup issues for the defense. What are you going to put there? you're going to put a linebacker, you're going to put a dime safety, is it going to be your slot corner? How are you going to match up there? A very detailed route runner. And what I mean someone's someone who's a detailed route runner, they understand how to use leverage, right. how to win within the stem of the route, and how to separate the point of attack. I think he's an excellent football player. I really do. And he's still growing at the position. He's going to get better. But he's been coached by some people I feel very strongly about at the University of Iowa that I will stand up for, that I respect greatly and I respect their teaching ability under Coach Ference at Iowa and his staff. That includes Chris Doyle, the strength coach at Iowa. Mm-hmm. And you talk to them about T.J. And they love him. they do. And that's the other thing, when you get a player from the University of Iowa, and obviously uh, I'm, I'm showing my Hawkeye love a little bit, but when you get a player from the University of Iowa, they're professional and they're accountable and they're dependable. Those things matter when you're building a football team.
0: That Abel family that Al Saunders used to always talk about way back when, when he was at the Redskins. Let's take a quick break, and coming up, more of my conversation with Matt Bowen, and he's going to tell you who he would take with the 15th overall pick if he were the Redskins. Welcome back, and let's continue my conversation with former Redskins safety Matt Bowen, who is also an ESPN NFL analyst, and he's going to tell you who he would pick if he were running the Redskins, and... He had some very positive things to say about new Redskins safety, Landon Collins. Um, Next position, receivers. Redskins need one. Is there a guy at 15? And the two guys that always kind of get mentioned would be DK Metcalf and Marquise Brown. I don't know that they would go Brown that high just because I think the durability would concern them. And I'm not sold on Metcalf with them at 15 just because I think there's gonna be some, you know, he's got the elite skills, which is intriguing, but then he's maybe not the, you know, there's questions about his routes and all that. What's your take on those two guys?
1: Um, well, I'll start with Marquise Browns I'm going to break him down in the matchup show, on uh, our first show next week. Uh, explosive ability, explosive traits. That's what you see. Now, obviously, we understand he's undersized, okay? Uh, he's not 6'1", 2'15". I understand that. I think the player counts for him are Deshaun Jackson and T.Y. Hilton. I think he's a vertical threat who can win underneath, and produce explosive plays after the catch you see that on his Oklahoma film all the time Lincoln Riley did an excellent job Lincoln Riley's head coach in the University of Oklahoma putting him in positive position he can line up outside he can play in the slot you can put him in motion and draw that matchup. and you better have someone that can run with him okay you better have someone that can run with him I think that's what his role is going to be in the NFL I think he will play a little bit outside I think predominantly he'll be an inside receiver But he can literally take the top off any defense. I know he did run. I I mean, come on. Do you really need a 40-time on him? Just put the film on
0: Run fast. (laughs) He's fast. That's what he does. I don't need to see how I I don't need a Porsche to go 95 to tell me that it's fast.
1: Exactly. Um, You know how they use him at Oklahoma. Verticals down the field, deep crossing routes, shallow crossing routes, bubble screens, tunnel screens. Get the football in his hands. He can make plays for you. And he is sudden. When I mean sudden in the open field, those are those explosive traits. We often talk about them at the running back position. A guy like Josh Jacobs from Alabama. Sudden at the point of attack. That one jump cut you always see from him on film. With, with Brown, it's the same thing as open field. You turn on the tape against Iowa State and watch him shake guys after the catch. Quick movements. I'm going to show a play against Baylor. It's a quick bubble screen outside. Uh, just sudden movements after the catch. And then you see the wide open speed. D.K. Metcalf is interesting to me um, because he is more of a straight-line athlete. That's what he is. He uh, does all elite skills, too, because that he of has his size, done. Yeah. yeah, size, speed, measurables um, are off the charts. They are. For that position, they're off the charts. Um, does he need to work on his route tree? Yes, he does. And I'll say this on both Brown and Metcalf. One of the hardest positions to transition to in the National Football League is wide receiver because it is a much more advanced route tree than – any player ran in college it just is what it is route convergence reading coverages working versus press man you know they don't see a lot of press man in college they see a lot of zone coverage in college now against alabama you're going to see more press coverage i understand that against nick Saban's defense but you're not going to get off the line cleanly. you have to work with your hands you have to work with your feet understand how to create leverage off the ball Understand how, how to stem pro defensive backs, guys that have been playing eight, nine, ten years in the league that know everything. All right. Guys that are still playing that don't run as well that can beat a guy who runs a 4 3 because they know everything. Okay. They know what the, the split's telling you, they know what the down and distance is telling you. They're going to be in your hip pocket. So the thing for DK Metcalf, Metcalf is to be able to win on the curl, the comeback, the deep end cut, the slant, and the go ball over the top. Okay, because think about this, John. He's going to get some cushion. Because if you're playing off man against a guy that runs a 4-3, you're going to get going right. in your pedal. You're going to move. Because if you don't, he's going to run right past you. So that's going to be, in my opinion, immediately what you should see some production from him, running those deep curls, running those deep comebacks, because there's going to be some natural separation there. The DB's got to pedal, open, and run. He's going to stay on top of the go ball down the
0: field. And and but, the, and that that's why he's scary. And then I'll flip it on the other for, side. Are there any defensive backs that you see? I know there's a couple in Greedy Williams, DeAndre Baker. Do you see anybody in that middle range as a corner? Because I don't know that there's any safeties that would go there. But is there a corner that you would look at and say, "This guy, I really like in the middle of this first round"?
1: I would be surprised if there's a top fifteen corner. I really okay. would. I mean, I really would. It doesn't mean it. It, it you know. In our business, we get into a habit of saying this class is good or this class is poor at a certain position. I don't necessarily agree with that because we just don't know yet how they're going to develop as, as pro athletes. There's a lot of good corners. I, I think DeAndre Baker. Based, I mean, understand this, John, and I think this needs to be explained to people sometime. Uh, what, what, what you and I do when we talk about draft prospects—that's only a, the film is only part of the right part of the final grade. Okay, especially at the quarterback position. I could break down film on Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke all day, but I'm not talking to their weight coach. I'm not talking to their high school coach, which I would definitely do as a pro scout. I'm not talking to a position coach. I don't know if they're the first one in the building or the last one. I don't know that stuff yet. Okay, because that's not not what I do for ESPN. Okay? But that's part of the process with all these players. And the first person I would go to is their high school coach and their college strength coach. They tell, they know everything.
0: <laughs> Strengths <laughs> coach know, know you everything. Are. Yeah, absolutely.
1: They, they know what you are. Not just as an athlete, as a person. You right. work ethic, your character, your accountability, your dependability. Those things are key. Those things trans, translate to the NFL in a positive or negative way. Okay. Who? But based on the film, getting back to what I was talking about, based on the film, DeAndre Baker, I think, is the top corner in this class. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how he competes. I love how he tackles. That's the thing. We again pass, we always talk about a passing lane. Man, I'd have a hard time coaching with uh, defensive backs who don't tack uh, I'm just telling you right now they wouldn't play for me. Right. <laughs> and they wouldn't even get in the field. Okay. So I want physical corners. That's what I want with physical corners in coverage and in the run game. And for me that's DeAndre Baker. Now John, DeAndre Baker ran, ran what, four five two, four five yeah. three, something like that. Not a lead speed. I, I understand that. Was a player out of Iowa a couple years ago named Desmond King, who ran the four or five. He's had a pretty good pro career, yes. right? So, again, speed is and everything. I understand we talk about it all the time with that position. It's a stopwatch position, and I get that. That's going to impact your draft grade. We all understand that. Come that first day of training camp, and you've been there for a bunch of training camps. There's no stopwatches out there, right, John? Right. <laughs> Not when you put pads on. You got to compete. No one cares what you run. And then it comes down to technique. Then it comes down to growing as a pro athlete and learning from your mistakes and making those corrections and being able to compete against guys who have who have made a living playing pro football. Um, so to draft a corner at 15, again, I don't, we, uh, like we said, we don't really know, but I don't see that happening.
0: Who would you say would be a good pick at 15 for the Redskins?
1: I think it's a pass rusher. I, I do. Me too. I, I think this class is, very deep in terms of interior pass rushers, the defensive tackle position, and as edge rushers. And right now, when you look at the depth chart for Washington, they need another pass rusher. That's what I think. They need another pass rusher. And for me, that would be Montez Sweat if he fell to 15. And then you're having the discussion of if it's not Sweat, I would probably say Brian Burns at this point.
0: That's the guy I would say, too. When, because you do so much of these matchups and all that, what's your opinion of the Redskins, um, their offense, and then Jay Gruden, the system, as a play caller, and, and all that?
1: I think they need to be more explosive. Okay, Because I think when they're healthy up front on the offensive line, they are built to make it a line of scrimmage game. Okay, And that's really what football comes down to. And There's, there's two different types of philosophies on that. You, you can make it a line of scrimmage game. And win with the run game and play action and high percentage throws. I understand that. It's a long time to get the ball down the field doing that. And to do that for 16 weeks is hard. Okay, to completely own the line of scrimmage and to put together eight to ten play drives and to win inside the tight red zone, which is the plus ten yard line. I understand all that. And there's a lot of coaches at every level, high school, college, and the pros, that believe in that philosophy, that have for a long time. But also – in my opinion i think you need the ability to flip the field where you can have four play scoring drops where you can get between the 40s where everyone takes their shots in the nfl and take a shot at the end zone or take the shot in the deep seam route down the field find that matchup in the passing game whether it's at the tight end position wide receiver or splitting the running back out of the backfield and getting that matchup you want um and I think last year when you watched the Washington film, there wasn't that explosive playability. Not consistently, not enough. And obviously they had the injury to Alex Smith, but even when Alex Smith was playing, that wasn't uh, an explosive offense. It just wasn't to me.
0: No, it was not. So,
1: you know, and you can't tell me that Coach Gruner's is going to say, no, we don't want to take a shot. Of course they do. Of course they do. You know, so they have to have the personnel to do it, and they have to take their shots when they're there,
0: um, and in
1: my opinion, to compete with Dallas and to compete with Philly. All right? We know New York, you know, they have a plan that, again, we might not agree with it, but they have a plan. All right? And that's that, you know, when at the line of scrimmage on the offense and defense line. that That is, in my opinion, the plan from the New York Giants right now. If they're going to, you know, have Eli Manning still be their quarterback, that's going to be their plan. All right? I think to beat Philly and beat Dallas and compete for the division title, which is – that should be the only goal going in every season because you win the division title, you're in the dance. and Then you got a shot to win the whole thing. So to do that, I think you need to be more explosive on offense.
0: Um, one of the guys they added this offseason, and I talked to you about him, this is the last thing from me here, is Landon Collins. And when you, mm-hmm. when you and I talked about him, you talked about a time, and if you can share this with the listeners, the time you broke down mm-hmm. film with him.
1: Yes, um, I wrote a story for ESPN Magazine, so this was going into uh, 2017 season, two summers ago, and I went out to New York and uh, met with Landon and wrote a story about him. Um, he was coming off a great season, a season I thought he should have been Defensive Player of the Year. And we talked about a lot of things, uh, but my favorite part about it is I brought my computer with, and I had a bunch of film on it. And I I brought some plays of Landon in coverage, Landon playing the run game, Landon blitzing as a second-level blitzer. And I just wanted to to watch film with him just to see what he sees, you know, because I was very interested about that. I'll tell you what, I learned a lot. (laughs) Hmm. I did. I learned a lot. Obviously, I I didn't play in that defense. I never played for that coach. So to hear, one, the terminology – And what he saw pre snap, that was the most impressive thing to me about Landon Collins. And yeah, there are great plays by him. You know, we all understand that. But what he saw pre snap, why he made the play. And fans have to understand that at times. We always see the end result when you're watching a game, whether it's Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, or Monday night, and now Thursday nights. We see the end result, the guy making an impact play. But what goes into making that impact play? The way Landon talked about how they practice preparing for a specific route and knowing the route was coming based on down distance formation personnel, he knew it was coming. That allowed him to make a play. Okay. I think he's a very intelligent football player. And that's outside of the intangibles he brings in terms of his toughness, his physicality, his leadership. Okay. And sometimes you can't measure those based on testing numbers or stats. You, You can't. But when you have that in the secondary, I'm telling you now, and I play with great players in the secondary mm-hmm. in my stops in the NFL. When you have a leader like that who can physically take over a game, uh, that, that makes you a great football team. It does. I've always said this, and obviously I'm a former safety. I coach in the secondary now at IC Catholic. The best defenses dictate the flow of the game from the perspective of the secondary. Mm. You do that, you win a lot. Your ability to be physical, to intimidate with your paths, and the challenge drops. You do that in the second day, you're going to win a lot of football games. But you have to have that guy. You have to have that leader that sets the tone for you, both physically and vocally, can line everyone up and also make plays. I think that's what Landon Collins is. And here's the thing you know, what, what it didn't bother me, I mean, stuff doesn't bother me, um, but uh, I didn't agree with when, when, when people look at Landon and say, well, he's a boxing. Oh, okay. Um, I don't even think that exists anymore, John. Right. I, I don't. Maybe when I played, you know, when I played for Greg Williams, I was in the box. You know, I was in the box because I was a limited football player. <laughs> right. Okay? That's why. I mean, I, I, you didn't want me in coverage. I remember one time, I'll, quick throw, one time we were playing the Steelers. This was an exhibition game. They had a blitz call, and they had me on Randall L. And I came to the sideline. I'm like, hey, man, this probably isn't a good idea. All <laughs> right? This, this is going to get us beat really bad. Let's, let's run something different so I'm not covering Randall L., who can beat me whenever he wants. Um, you know, I was a box guy. and That's why Greg would blitz me 15 times a game because, you know, then I didn't have to cover anybody. But, uh, you know, Landon Collins can play in the pokes, can play in the deep path, can cover tight nets, can match up the running backs. The first thing someone's going to say is, well, he, you know, Tree Cohen from the Bears beat him on a wheel route last year. Yeah, Tree Cohen beat a lot of people on a wheel route last year. Yes, he did. Okay? Okay? There are some times that matchups get you. That was a great job by, by Coach Nagy and the Bears getting that matchup, all right? But I think he's developed more coverage, to be honest. If you watch his film earlier in his career to last year, I think he's developed more coverage in terms of his hand usage, okay, his ability to maintain leverage, maintain his cushion. I think he's developed more coverage. All right? But in terms of a box safety, uh, you know, most teams, yeah, they're going to have a strong safety or free safety in the program. But a lot of times you play right and left side of the field. Right. And if you're playing a split safety look and they motion, well, guess what? Now your free safety has got to rotate down. Now he's a lower level player and your strong safety rotates to the post. So it goes both ways. You can't just have a free safety that says, well, I play in the post. What happens if they go in motion and right. run the ball at you? You better be ready to tackle. You better be ready ready to defeat blocks. So, my opinion, the game right now, because there are so many more spread looks, more pre-snap movement that we see, more jet sweep to get defenses to rotate. Why do I think the Rams do all that stuff? Right. Right. Okay, you better be able to play both sides of the field. You better be able to rotate down rotate back. Both be in position to cover down the slot. And I'm not saying man coverage on the slot. You can rotate down over the slot as a strong safety and buzz to the curl right or jam jam the jam the slot receiver buzz to the curl or jam the slot and trail underneath because you got help over the top right you're not just playing man coverage on an island no no if you're doing that if you're coaching that you shouldn't be coaching right so there are ways that you can rotate down over a slot as a strong safety who's got some size and still play be in a positive coverage position based on your defensive scheme and your defensive call but i've always been a big fan of landing count obviously doing that that ESPN magazine article on, on him, mm-hmm. really impressed me. I mean, really impressed me. But I, even if I didn't do that, just watching the film on him and watching the way he plays, he plays like a leader. Okay, That's the guy I would want in my defensive back backroom if I'm a coach. That's the guy I would want if I'm a teammate. I want guys like that. I want to be around guys like that. That makes you a better person, makes you a better player.
0: Matt, as always, I appreciate your insight, and I know people who listen to this are going to learn a thing or two. Thank you very much for joining me
1: all right john go, uh, go hawk right?
0: <laughs> we're going to edit that part out <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot to matt bowen for joining me on the podcast and i want to now bring in bram weinstein because he's sitting here listening to this whole conversation and curious bram what, what your takeaway is from what Matt had to say.
1: Okay, so a week ago, Josh Weinfuss says, Josh Rosen isn't getting traded until draft day, right? So let me give you two scenarios off of what he said. The scenario of the Redskins do get Rosen and the Redskins do not get Rosen. What happens at 15 in your mind in both those scenarios?
0: Oh, I think, I think they're probably, my belief would be you're getting an impact guy. I'm looking at the edge rusher still. I don't think that Rosen joining them because I don't think they they would give up that 15th pick as of right now. That that would be my belief. So I think you're looking at 15. You're looking at an edge rusher because they need a guy like that on defense. I don't, you know, I think the other guy that Matt talked about that I think would be a possibility is T.J. Hawkinson because I think he makes sense in this offense. They need a multi-dimensional tight end to diversify those personnel groupings, which have become too predictable, and I think that would be another area I would watch. You're off the idea, though, that they would take a quarterback if Rosen is not going to be on this roster. If Rosen is not on this roster, then I do think there are some quarterbacks who would tempt them at 15. Whether or not they'll be there, and I would look at clearly a guy like Dwayne Haskins. Now, I don't know for sure that he would be the guy there, but I think when you're looking at the top quarterbacks, if there are guys that would tempt them, he would be one of them, and I think Daniel Jones would probably be one of them. Drew Locke, I know there's there's a temptation there. I don't know if they would take him at 15. Um, so, but I do think there's, that would be in play. Yes. I don't know that those guys would be there. That's why I'm looking at another position. They and need- I also know, I also know, Bram, that there are guys later in the draft that they would be happy getting as well. I wanted to touch on the Reuben Foster situation for a moment. I will say, from the moment they claimed him in November you'd hear from people inside the organization who felt fairly confident that this would be the ultimate outcome. Now, as far as the charges being dropped and all that, I think there was still a little bit of concern about the suspension. I do know in their eyes, there was no reason to suspend them. And clearly they were right. And so they got a good player on a cheap rookie deal. Now they just need to make this work. And I'm going to focus on the field for a moment right now and what this means what the Redskins have inside are three guys capable of starting Mason Foster Reuben Foster and Sean Dion Hamilton Reuben Foster will be on the field because he's that talented Jay Gruden wanted this guy before the in, during the 2017 draft I think he would have taken him over Jonathan Allen I, so he's going to be on the field Then it comes down to Mason Foster, Sean Deion Hamilton. Mason Foster is around because there was some concern about Ruben Foster's situation. And also, I think there's still a wondering about where is Sean Deion Hamilton as far as quality of starter play. Talking to some people, it's like there's a sense that he's probably more of a fringe starter. If nothing else, a really good backup and special teams player but a guy who is capable of starting. He's not a big guy, so you don't know how he'd hold up over 16 games. What I like about him is he seems to play with smarts and some instincts. Now with Mason Foster, there's a lot of Fosters here, folks, but with Mason Foster, two-down linebacker, as you know. I don't blame him for getting beat in coverage all the time because he's not putting himself out there. The Redskins kept doing it. They have messed that position up. And they keep having to play him in coverage, he shouldn't be in coverage. Now the question is, will they keep him going forward? And I don't know the answer to that. He would cost Mason would cost I think it's I think they would say four million dollars. If he's not starting, that's way too expensive for a backup. But what that also means and what I do think is that the Ruben Foster news doesn't necessarily change the fact that they could take someone in the draft at this position. I don't think it changes that at all. Because you, you don't know about Sean Dan Hamilton. You can't trust that Reuben Foster will be there for all 16 games yet. Because you haven't seen it. And you know Mason Foster. You can upgrade there. So I think there's still a chance that something could happen. And then if, that, if they did get someone in the draft. Then obviously Mason Foster I think would be the guy who would be out. But I still think you'd want a veteran backup. A cheaper veteran backup. Um, just in case others aren't ready or something happens. Now. Here's why I think they're hopeful that Rune Foster will be okay in Washington. It's the presence of all those Alabama guys, no doubt. But I think one guy there stands out and it's Ryan Anderson. For a long time now I've heard how important he is to that overall group. They kind of consider him, I guess for lack of a better phrase, the father of those of the of that group. So he's the the mature voice, the guy who's going to keep people on the on the right path, etc. He's he hangs out a ton with Reuben Foster. The problem is you can't hang out with somebody 24/7. Reuben Foster's his own guy and there's only so much that one other person can do for a guy. I'm sure that Reuben Foster has had some issues in the past even when Ryan Anderson was there at Alabama. I don't think he's arrested for anything anything like that, but if there were issues, Anderson would have been there, but it's why they feel like there's a chance this could work in Washington. Now, they have to be cautious and here's why. 2 years Ruben Foster, Foster has missed 16 games because of injuries, because of the suspension this past year, misdemeanor gun and drug charges. Um, so you don't know how he's going to fare over 16 games. You don't know if he can last 16 games because he hasn't shown that yet. If he does, he's a terrific talent. And I think you know if, if he can do that, the Redskins have a guy who's got speed, something they clearly need on that defense. But you don't just need speed. You need a guy who can use that speed and use it consistently right. That wasn't happening enough the last couple of years with Zach Brown, the guy he ultimately is replacing him with. After Reuben Foster was drafted by the 49ers in 17, Alabama coach Nick Saban mentioned the words choices and decisions when referring to Foster. In other words, everyone makes a choice and you make a decision and you have to live with that decision and you have to make the right decisions. The 49ers released him in November Not necessarily because he was arrested, but because they felt they could no longer trust him. They had talked to him after his issues with the same woman a year ago that led to a court case in June. The charges were dropped. She admitted in court that she was lying. But the 49ers had talked to him about extricating himself from that relationship. And after all this happened, they felt they couldn't trust him, couldn't take him at his word. That's why he ultimately was on on waivers and why the Redskins were able to claim him. So this is all up to Foster to make it work. I don't know if, it's going, if he's going to do it or not. You'd like to see a guy succeed. You'd like to see a guy who gets another chance make the most of it. And if he does do that, the Redskins have a heck of a player. Again, somebody still on a cheap rookie contract. But it will take time for Foster to prove that he can be trusted and for the Redskins to feel that this position is now solidified. And there you go so thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this podcast i found matt bowen very enlightening i hope you did too